It's very important that when you get involved in something that you find out why you're getting involved in it and, and really understand why you, where you are and why you're there and what the purpose of why you're there is. People seem to expect the wrong things and do not understand why, what they've gotten themselves into. An example of this, in 1996, staff members of Bat- Bridger Wilderness Area in Wyoming solicited feedback from visitors to their park. The following were actual responses from comment cards given to the staff. It says that trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) There are too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Please call. <laughs> Says reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people hike, can hike at night with flashlights. Escalators would really help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. (laughs) And lastly, there are too many rocks in the mountains. (laughs) And you think about this and you laugh and it's just like, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what does it mean to be a strong Christian? What does it mean that we follow after Christ? And and, uh, we can laugh at these things, but sometimes we think, perhaps the wrong way too of what it means to be a Christian, what it means. And we have expectations that if we're going to be a Christian, it should be this way. And it's the way we want it to be. We want the chairlift to be moved closer to us so we don't have to bother, even not knowing that going to that is going to be best for us. That the best things require us to take some effort. The best things and the things that are worth it require us to step up and do something. And so I want to talk to you today about is the whole concept is going to be in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. Paul is going to talk to Timothy about what it means to be strong as a Christian and becoming a strong Christian. And how do we do this? How do we become the Christian that God has called us to be? How do we become the Christian that fits into the mold of what God wants us to be and not the mold of I want a McDonald's where it's convenient for me? Just think about that contrast right now, where I don't want it to be hard. I don't want it to have this. I don't want to have the model of this is the way God intended it. This is the way he created it. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so as Paul, again, is we're going through the study on what really matters is Paul is writing the last letter of his life right before he's about to be uh, killed by the emperor Nero. He knows this is his last shot. He knows that this is what's going to happen. He ends the letter with, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I fought the good fight. It's over. But he's going to let us know what really matters. And one of the things is becoming a strong Christian. So how do we do this? How do we become a strong Christian? Well, first of all, we have to receive strength from God. And if we look at 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, it says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 goes on to say, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach 
others also. And he's trying to say here is you need to be strong and at least needs to be based on what came before. And he, he's, so he's saying that all, everything that I talked about before, everything I talked about being uh, open and with your faith, about suffering for the faith, about being strong in the spirit, now because of that, you then do this. And here's how you're supposed to do that. And so he says, and he also looks at him, he says, now he calls him my child. He said, and I think sometimes when you're about to tell somebody something that's not easy, you need to let him know that you care about him. Because he's going to tell him some things that he doesn't want to necessarily hear. He's going to tell him that this Christian faith is not just get saved and live a smooth and easy life for the rest of your life with absolutely no worries. He needs to let him know that I'm your spiritual father. I am somebody that cares about you. And because I care about you, I tell you what is tough. I tell you no when it's right. That's what a, fa- a father does to a child or mother does to a child. You tell them that knives are not fun playthings. You tell them things that they don't want to hear. But you tell them that because you care for them. And he tells them to be strengthened. Now the way he says it is in a present tense. He says, you need to be strong every day. You need to be strong every day. Things are going to have to happen in your life for you to be strong because if you are not strong, you're not going to make it. And you need to receive the strength. But he also says it in a passive way, which means you're going to have to receive this strength from a foreign source. Have you ever felt to yourself, I'm not strong enough to do what God calls me to do? The answer to that is, you are correct. If you feel that way, you've understood the Bible. Now, here's the thing. It always says, be strong, do this, do this, in grace of Christ Jesus. It always says, by the grace of Christ Jesus, by his power, by the power of his spirit. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It comes from that. And he goes back to 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, where he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And then if you look at the end of verse 8, it says, be sh- But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And now he's going to say, By the Spirit, by the Father, and now by Christ Jesus the grace, you need all of them in your life. You need the whole Holy Trinity to help you with this. You cannot do it on your own. But that's not an excuse to say, oh, it's just too hard. Okay, if it's too hard, God said, I understand that. That's why I gave you me. That's why I sent the Spirit. That's why my son died on the cross. That's why you have the power of God. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. That's why you have the church. That's why you have all this power that's available to you because he knows it's too hard. He knows it's something you can't do. It's strength that comes from something else. And he says, hold on to, the strength comes from what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, he says, hold on to those words. Hold on to them, that they may be true. He talked about earlier um, about the fact in chapter 1 about the deposit that was saved to you, the sound doctrine. Stick to the sound doctrine. Follow what is true. There are so many methods out there. There's so many people out there that are trying to tell you ways to do things that aren't true. He's saying follow what is true. Follow what is sound. And he says not only that, if you truly are going to be strong in the faith, he adds another dimension here. And it all comes back to this concept of we need each other. He says pass it on to somebody like you has passed on to you. 
that this is a generational thing. I received it from Christ. I passed it on to you. Now you pass it on to somebody else. And you not just pass it on to them, but you enable them to be strong and to teach and to be faithful and to entrust them. And this is going to require you putting an effort in this, that they will be able to teach, train, and equip others. So in our strength, one of the things that helps us with our strength is being involved in helping other people become stronger themselves. It's a, it's a constant thing. Paul was strengthened. He talks about the strength that Timothy brings to him. Why does Timothy bring to him? It's like, well, aren't, isn't Timothy kind of the guy you, that you're over? He, but he says, Timothy, you bring me such strength. You bring me such joy. You bring me all this. When we are sharing the gospel with others, when we're involved in groups of Christians that are helping one another, when we are actively involved in sharing the gospel and bringing other people up in the faith, we become stronger ourselves. We receive strength. Have you ever had anybody pepper you with questions and it strengthens you? Because you have to go look them up. And maybe you didn't know and maybe they bring up something new or maybe it just presses you a little bit more and you have to get stronger. I think about this. You go to the gym. You look at somebody who's a trainer. You don't want them to have a gut out to here. All right, you just don't. If they walk in you know, with a Snickers bar in hand, just going, hey, whatever, I don't train, but I'm here to help you. No, they, I notice that the, the guys that are trainers, they're always at the gym themselves because they realize that it's good for them too. And it's, it's, it's something that, and they get stronger and they help other people and they're constantly lifting. And all those guys look in really good shape because they're constantly into it. And that's what God is saying, that we need to be pouring into other people, not just receiving it from God, but also pouring into other people. Um, Paul says, I did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand that we receive this from Christ and now we give it to somebody else that we have that. And, but then he goes into three different illustrations. And I like Paul because he likes to use sports illustrations. And I like sports illustrations. But then to say, you know, I'm not done with that. I'm going to use a soldier illustration. wait. We might need a farmer illustration. Basically, what Paul likes to do is say, I'm going to try and hit three different aspects through three different points of view that you understand. And so he's going to give us how we can follow the life of discipline. How we can follow the life of discipline. And he says, the first thing is, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And he looks at this concept, he says, the verb also occurred in verse 1-8 when he says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as a prisoner, but share in the suffering for the, gospel, for the gospel by the power of God. Now why does he say share in the suffering of a good soldier of Christ Jesus? I've never been in the military, but Everything that I see about the military looks like it's a lot of work, okay? Everybody I talk to talks about, hey, let's go out for a 10-mile run. Let's go out for this walk. They're always training. They're always into it, knowing that if they're in shape, they can fight better, knowing that there's going to be this, but there is suffering involved in being a soldier. Everybody knew that. At this time period, 
Uh, they knew that the Roman soldiers were around and they were worried about the mad barbarians, which were my relatives, uh, coming from the north. And they said, you know, we need to, they had to be constantly on alert up there. And he's saying to himself, be, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. You're a soldier, you're going to have to suffer if you're going to be a good soldier. You're going to have to follow this. And knowing the fact that as we suffer, that God is going to, t- to bring us to a higher standard of who we are and make us the person that we make. I, I remember I talked to one of my bosses once, and he was a Marine. And, sorry, I didn't get a response. From, uh, but he was a Marine. And he said one of the things that was very important to him, he said the first time the Marine comes out, the, uh, the sergeant comes out and yells at him, he said, I, I thought, this guy's insane. And he, and he says, maybe some of them were. But he says, once you realize that they were out there playing a part because they cared about you enough to get you in shape to do what you needed to do. They weren't just out there because it was, I mean, they were out there because that was their part. And he says, once I got that point, it's like I understood that they were doing it for my benefit. And this can also mean to share in times of distress. And no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He says, focus on the commander. Focus on the one who got you into this, not on the rest of the world. Because there's one thing that, so, that can happen is when people are pulled out of the, their focus, they're pulled away from the one who pulled them in the thing, the diversions can pull them away. When the Roman soldiers were on the frontier, they had to be constantly on alert. I think of our soldiers that exist to this day where they're in war zones. They're not sitting there going, well, I'll just fall asleep, it's okay. It's saying, stay with the one who enlisted you. Stay with the plan because there can be no weakening because we need to stand together. If one person lets down and doesn't follow, everybody's going to be let down. So share in the suffering so that we can share in the glory. And the first thing he talks about is salvation, is being a soldier. And then he says, next thing is follow the rules for success. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he complete, competes according to his rules. Now what I'm about to describe to you is the situation in first century uh, Palestine, um, Asia Minor, these areas. It's going to seem very foreign to everybody here. I just want to let you know. Athletic competition was highly thought of. Athletes were honored above other people. And cities took great pride in their arenas and their athletes. Again, we can't identify with that. Everybody who had a Super Bowl party or anybody who had all this. But athletes were paid a lot. They were, th- they were paraded around. They were role models. They had these massive stadiums, up to 30,000 people that were built with. And they were so proud. Our team is better. Our athletes are better. I can imagine them going at it. It's just like, it's, it hasn't changed much is what I'm trying to say. The key here, he says, is you need to follow the rules to win. If you're going to be a successful athlete, and that means you need to train, you need to follow the discipline, and you need to win the way God wants you to win. You need to be that, that athlete that you see, because all we ever see is the athlete when they show up at the field. And we think to ourselves, I could do that. Go to a basketball game. You know, the guy's sitting there. He got him for 10 minutes. I can run up in the floor, up and down the floor for 10 minutes. You don't realize the hours and the hours and the hours that went into that. 
the time that went into it, that this. And he is saying, follow the rules for success, which means be dedicated to being a success in Christ and to winning in God. We can play to win is what God has laid before us, but we must train, we must eat right, we must listen to our coaches, we must listen to what God is telling us and do this. And we can't just do it our way and say we're winning as a Christian. Well, we're winning, and we we can't define our own winning either because there's ways to win that are right and there are ways to win that are wrong. There's a man named Frederick Lohrs. You may have heard of him, you may not. In the marathon of the 1904 Olympic Games, Lohrs stopped running because he was exhausted after nine miles. His manager then gave him a lift in his car and drove the next 11 miles. After which, Lourdes Lourdes jumped out, continued on foot back to the Olympic Stadium, where he broke the finishing tape and was greeted as the winner of the race. He won, right? Is that okay? And he says, though he initially went along, along with it, he soon admitted that it was a joke after spectators claimed he had not run the entire race. So then the, okay, they caught him. The second place guy, Thomas Hicks, went on to become the real winner, though he had, too had done an unusual race, walking part of the route and being assisted by strychnine, which had been banned, um, and, and he used that to win the race himself. And you say, well, they won. Well, they did it. No, there are rules that you must follow if you're truly going to be the winner. The rules are set by God for your benefit. And he's saying, you can't just take shortcuts. You can't just take shortcuts. It means to follow after what God, if you are truly going to be strong in the Lord, you need to be, and to be a winning Christian and a strong Christian, you must follow the rules that God has laid out. Lastly, as anybody who's ever been a farmer knows that it requires hard work. He says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He just identifies the farmer as hardworking. I think most people think of that today. We think of farmer, and the first word that comes to our mind is hardworking. He says, your reward is going to come from your hard work. The fact, he says, that any hard-earning farmer, and there's one thing that I know, that farmers usually eat well. Okay? If, you get, if you're, my, my mother and father-in-law uh, were farmers, and one thing that my mother-in-law to this day likes to eat hamburgers when she goes out because she's so sick of steaks. Because that's what they had on the farm when they were raising cattle. They ate well. Farmers eat well. They get the first share of the crops, right? If you're a dairy farmer, you probably have a little bit of milk. You're never wondering, do we have milk? I don't know, do we have cows? Yes, we have milk. And so they always had the first share. He said, understand the fact that God is going to take care of those who are hardworking, just like the farmers. And he's talking about the end day. God will not forget you in the end for the hard work. He's not, he says, just like those farmers have what they need for food, you're going to have your share. And then he says, he kind of ends this all with, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So he's going to say, Paul demanded the pursuit of excellence in Christian life. He tolerated no images of mediocrity. The believer, this is what one commentator says. He says, can you imagine Paul illustrating the Christian life with images of a droplet or a turncoat? He says the illustrations are a soldier, an athlete, a hardworking farmer that accomplished things, a soldier who is true to his calling, the the farmer that works so hard and the athlete that achieves towards winning by following the rules. He said, this is what it takes to be a strong Christian. 
And then he stops and he says, you need to understand why this is all worth it. Why is it worth it what I say? Because sometimes you can say, and I know people that have said this, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to be in good shape. It's not worth it to be a great athlete. There's so many people that have such great talents that have never used them because they've never sought the reason to do it. And so Paul wants to lay out as he closes this, the reason that we work hard, the reason for our suffering and our growing in our faith. He says the first thing is, remember who Jesus is and what he did for you. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And basically what he's trying to say is, remember Jesus and remember what he has done for you. Remember the quality of who Christ is and remember that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, be the same quality as Christ is. He is your risen Savior. He, is, he did this. He rose from the dead, and he also has the power. If he says that he has the power to rise from the dead, he has the power to say, just like he said, the power that is promised for you to do this is promised because he rose from the dead, and he can be trusted. The other thing he says about the offspring of David, saying he is the one who's been promised. He is the one that keeps his promises. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, there was a promise that Jesus Christ would come and he would destroy the power of sin. When Satan seemed like he had won over Adam and Eve, he said, you will be crushed by my son. The promise that was carried on through the whole thing. As preached in his gospel, he says, it's worth it. And Paul says, for I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God was not bound. The reason Paul does what he does is because it's worth it. It's because it's worth it. He says the gospel is strong. Jesus Christ's message is true. It was carried throughout the ages. He rose from the dead. Nobody predicts. There's so many people that predicted they're going to do things, and it doesn't happen. And people then say, well, maybe he didn't, we'll have to reinterpret it, and maybe it's a spiritual thing to understand. No, physically rising from the dead is what Jesus did. Remember the resurrection. It is the foundation of our faith. And he says, the word of God is not bound. There is nothing this world can do that can stop the word of God. You have a power that is in you that raised Christ from the dead and make sure the word of God, which will never be bound. See, while in prison, Paul said, I am here in prison. In Acts, he says this, but he says, the word of God has not been hindered at all. There's a story in 1930s. Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles and all believers in Russia. In the city of Stavropol, that order was carried out with a vengeance and thousands of Bibles were confiscated and multitudes of believers were sent to gulags. After the fall of communism, a, a group called Commission sent a t- team to Stavropol. When they had trouble getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, someone mentioned a warehouse outside of town where confiscated Bibles were stored since Stalin's day. They prayed about it and finally one of the team members mustered up the courage to ask some officials if the Bibles were still there and if they could have them. The answer was yes and yes. So they got a truck and, um, and some workers to load up the Bibles. One of the workers was a young college student. He was skeptical, agnostic, far from being a Christian, which a lot of people were after the fall of communism. As they were loading up the Bibles, the young man disappeared. When they found him, he was in the corner of the warehouse weeping. He had slipped away, hoping to steal a Bible for himself. What he found shook him to the core. The inside page of the Bible he picked up 
had the handwritten signature of his own grandmother. He had stolen her own personal Bible, a woman persecuted for her faith all her life. The Word of God will not be stopped. The prayers of that mother, the message, Joseph Stalin, who killed millions and millions, killed probably more than anybody else, he could not stop the Word of God. And he could not stop that mother who cared for her grandson and the Word of God coming. Next, we need to be strong for helping other believers. He says, therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, our goal as a church, today I saw our ushers setting up more chairs. We want to have chair problems all the time. We want to have people coming to know Jesus because we see them as people that are in need of Christ and we will do what it takes. We will suffer. We will suffer and not get our favorite spot. Ah, I know, okay, everybody's like, Pastor, now you've stepped over a line. I'm all for suffering for Jesus, but if I don't get my favorite spot at church, I'm switching. All right. But we must endure hardship so that some would become saved to eternal glory, the only hope of the word. Paul will emphasize this in 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. You see, the acts that we do, the life that we live, it's not just that we're saved to a holy calling because God is holy, that is true, but how we live makes an impact on the world around us. The world does not need another Christian who acts like a non-Christian. They've seen that before. What they need is a Christian who truly believes that God is the way. That truly believes no matter what God says, we're going to follow it, even if it doesn't follow our society, even if it doesn't follow my own desires. I'm going to follow what God says. I'm called to a holy calling. Why am I living this way? So that other people can come to know Jesus Christ. And they, I may be the only example of Christ that they see. They're not going to know anybody else in Christ, and our example is so true. I think back to 1 Corinthians 9.3, and I looked this up, and I said, this sounds familiar to something I read before. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 9.3, it says, this is my defense of those who would examine me, Paul says. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? And then he says in 1 Corinthians 9.12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put any op- an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He say, we will endure anything. This is the whole issue to get that. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. What we need are more Christians, and I know this goes against the flow, that don't say to themselves, you can't tell me what to do. The Bible can't tell me what to do. I'm going to define what I'm going to do. To say, I'm going to live a life And I may have to give up some of my own freedoms for the sake of others. Because Paul said that. He says, people ask me, do I not have the right to eat or drink things? Yes. Do I not do them? Yes. Why? For the sake of other people. But you can't tell me, Pastor. I I, I like doing that. Does it cause somebody else to sin? Does it cause somebody else to stumble? Paul would say, then stop it. That's a hard truth. Our whole ethical system needs to be based on the fact of what is going to cause our Christian message to go forward. And you may say to yourself, but there's other things. I can prove it, Pastor. I'll proof text it. I'll I'll dig it in there. Is it causing somebody else to stumble and stop it? 
this simple as that. I will endure anything. I will endure suffering. I will endure anything. It's the same thing in verse 10. I will endure everything for the sake of the elect. I may have to give up something. I may not, I may not have to you know, do things that other people think is okay. And maybe it's not even that bad, but I will give it up for the sake of my Christian message. And you guys have to examine your heart and say, what am I willing to do? Am I willing to be that person that endures for the sake of the gospel? Lastly, we need to know that our, what inspires us is knowing that our path is secure. Paul says in 11, 12, and 13, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we, are faith, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's very important that we understand this, that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we have given everything to God, if we have laid it all at his feet and said, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will give up whatever you ask me to do. I will die to myself to live to you. That we will live forever with him. That eternal life starts now. You realize that? Eternal life does not start at the grave. It does not start when we get to heaven. It starts right now. We live with him. Christ is present with us, present in us, present to give us strength, present to give us peace and hope. He never will leave us. If we die to ourselves, we have the greatest life we can possibly live, which is in the will of God. We may be suffering in this world, but we are receiving the greatest gift of everything, which is being in line with Christ and having in us, Him in us. What a great blessing and honor that we have. Life more abundantly now and forever. And he says, if we endure, we'll also reign with Him. He says, you have no idea, the Bible says, what Christ has in store for you. In the next life. You have no idea. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Because Christ who suffered and died on this earth rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he is coming back for us, and that we will reign with him. We will reign with him. What an exciting thing. We are not paupers in heaven. We have everything in Christ. He will come to get us, and we will reign with him if we endure with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. He is saying, if we repudiate Christ, he will say no to us. It's a total turning from God. He says, if we don't want to be with him, he will turn away from us. He will turn from us because he's a, he will turn away from us. It's like in Matthew 10, 33, where it says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. He says, so we have endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, we go away from him. But then the next verse doesn't make any sense. It's just baffled people for a while. You have to think of to yourself because you look at it real quick. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Here's the thing. If you ask God to go away and really want him to go away, he'll turn away. But he'll never give up on you. Never give up on you. He will remain faithful to you though you are faithless. I know that there are stories here. We could call for testimonies right now. People said, I turned my back on God, but never, God never stopped loving me. God never stopped chasing after me. 
God never, we sing this song about the reckless love of God, and He never, ever stops wanting us back. He will let us go if we want to go, but He's going to be there for us saying, come on. He's the father in the story of the prodigal son. He's saying, he's looking out there going, what can I do to bring that person back? What can I, who can I put in their lives? Who can, who can I, how can I be faithful to them? Because I made a commitment to them when they accepted me, and I am never going to let go of them. If you are here today, and you have stepped away from God, and you said, you don't understand, Pastor, what I have done, God does, and he wants you back. He was here to forgive you. So the promise that we have is, he, we, he will deny us, yes, because we want him to, but he never gives up on us. He never stops. And that is the hope that we have. It's not like we're just sitting on the edge and always wondering if God loves us. He never stops loving us, ever, never will. And so to be a strong Christian, we need to be in the power of God, in his strength. We need to, to have the discipline, the hard work, following the rules of what we're called to do. And, but we, I, I just come back to the end, knowing that our path is secure in Christ gives us all the inspiration. Knowing that he has us in his hand, knowing that he will not give up on us ever. It's what should drive us forward, that he is the risen Savior. He can do anything. He came, he died for us, and he's never going to give up on us. Stand with me right now. If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made the commitment to Him, I want you to know that He wants you to make that commitment. He wants you. It's like Paul was saying, I will endure for anything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is the whole thing. Salvation, forgiveness of sins. To become elect means to be part of God's kingdom. The ones that are going to be reigning with Him forever. And that we will have Christ Jesus with us. He has forgiveness of our sins. He comes into our life. He regenerates us. Makes us new creations, it says in 2 Corinthians. And then He is constantly working in our lives as we allow Him to make us better every day to drive the sin out of our lives, to make us new creations in Him. And He wants that for everybody who is here because without Christ, you are stuck in your own sin. You are taking the guilt of your own sin upon you. You do not have the hope of salvation. Today is the day to make that commitment to Him and say, I want the hope of salvation. I want to be transformed to Him and I want to have this secure path for the rest of my life. For anybody else here that just needs somebody to pray with them, uh, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But if you want to make a commitment to Christ, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. They'd love to lead you in what it means to be a Christian. But for everybody else here, God is calling us to be strong Christians. He's calling us because He rose from the dead for us. He wants us to, to minister to other people. He wants us to suffer with Him, but He wants us to reign with Him too. He knows what is best for us. He knows the path that's going to lead to glory. He knows the path that's going to be the best for us. So why don't we want to be strong Christians in Him? Let's put aside everything in this world. Let's endure the fact that maybe we have to put away from some selfish desires, sinful desires. The world is telling us no desire is sinful. 
Oh, I can name a lot of my own desires that I struggle with. Okay? And we have to say that there are things that I have to put away. There's other things that I have to say that are not right. And say, God, you have the better way for me. And not only that, I will look out to other people. And I will say, I will do certain things for the sake of my witness to others. Because in becoming a strong Christian, I want to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. And I want to know that as I reach them with the gospel, it also strengthens me. What a glorious promise we have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today. I thank you today, God, that you have given us hope. I thank you, God, that we can be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Be strengthened every day by you, God. And as we grow stronger in you, God, you have a holy calling for us, God. You have a a plan for us. You have inspiration for us by you, God. You have it all laid out for us, God, what you want us to do. You have the rules, the discipline, and the hard work for us, God, but you also show us what it's going to lead to. And we just thank you for this today, God. Let us grow stronger in our faith every day. As the verse says, be strong every day. Be strengthened every day in you, God, as we pour into you and you pour into us. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now go and connect with one another.